all my sisters out there. All right, so um, my name is Crystal. I'm really glad you guys are here. We are gonna go over a couple of like little housekeeping things and then we're gonna dive into the talk tonight. So in your homework, the next several weeks are gonna be different than the first couple of weeks have been. They're all going to be self-directed Bible study, Bible journaling. So you're, when you open it up, you're gonna have a passage of scripture right there at the front. Oh, that was a really strong passage. <laughs> I don't love this mic. Okay. No, it's, it's the mic. Um, you're gonna have that, and then you're gonna have journaling space, and we're gonna do the soap method. I don't know, how many of you guys are unfamiliar with the soap method? Okay, so it starts out real simple. You take, it says scripture, so you take one verse or two verses. If you feel really like you wanna just journal the whole chapter, I mean, that's, on, that's up to you. Um, but I personally just like one or two verses to really meditate on. So you write them out, and then you observe. And so after you've written it out, you're like, okay, what do I see? What does this verse say? So if we just use Jesus wept, nice and short, what is the verse saying that Jesus did? He wept. He wept, right. And then so you observe what's happening in the scripture. And then you just take a minute and pray. And then you're like, how can I apply what this verse is saying? Or is there an application to what this verse is saying to my life? And then you write down what the application might be. And then you pray through it again and just ask the Lord to really like use what you've learned in your life. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's it's three days instead of five, but it's three days of scripture journaling. And the reason that we're doing it, guys, is because it's so important for us as women individually to read the word for ourselves, to understand it for ourselves, to know what it says. It's good that we come on Sundays and it's good that you guys come here and we get taught and we get fed, but we have to feed ourselves too. We have to interact with the Holy Spirit also. So that is our homework. And then just a couple of things around tables that um, I think is just good reminders for us is, um, guys, when we are listening, when we're listening to each other talking, there's a couple of things, and I'm guilty of the texting one, so I'm gonna call myself out, is when we're sitting there at tables, just, you know, I know we're all moms and we have to keep our phones out sometimes, but if we just are careful and gentle with not texting all night long if someone is sharing, and not cross-talking. If someone is sharing something, it's really like hurtful to them and distracting to everybody else if like there's a side conversation going on over here. So if we could just love each other super well by not having the side conversations and not texting and what was the other one? Not fixing each other. I'm a fixer. I'm a recovering fixer. I need to go to Fixers Anonymous. If there is one, I need to go to it because I think, number one, I'm an oldest daughter, so it's like I was born into it. It's my birthright. But also, guys, like we're women and we love to help each other. And so with the very best of intentions, like I'm going to just borrow Ada because she's looking at me. So Ada, if she's sharing something, my natural, that she's struggling with, my natural inclination is to want to tell her how to fix it. Because, gosh, I love her and I want her to be well. But sometimes our fixing gets in the way of what the Holy Spirit wants to say. So I just want to encourage us as we're talking at tables to just remember that it's okay not to help somebody. I give you guys permission. We can just all come in here and not help each other. It's gonna be great. <laughs> Let's leave room for the Holy Spirit to just do what the Holy Spirit wants to do. All right? Oh, oh the children are loud. Thank you, Donnie. Okay, so guys, can anyone tell me what we have been studying week one? Muchness? Yes. Oh my gosh, you guys retained it. Good job. The muchness. How do we love God? We love him with our muchness. We love him with everything we have. And then what was last week? Does anyone remember? Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Yes, so good. 
So those are the two greatest commandments, and we're going to use them as filters for the whole book of 1 John. Because the book of 1 John is entirely about loving God and loving your neighbor, from the first chapter to the last chapter. And we don't have time to go, each chapter has a lot of stuff in it, which is why we're doing the Bible journaling. Because, guys, if I stood up here and taught you the whole first chapter of John, we would be here until tomorrow, because there's a lot of stuff in it. So we're just going to do a little piece at a time. But I wanted to go through it with you guys and give you some context. So first of all, who the heck is John? Who's John? And I cannot stand this microphone. I might have to go get the other one. Um, John was one of the 12 apostles of Jesus, according to the New Testament. He's one of the 12. Nope, this is going to have to go. Can you guys talk amongst yourselves for like two minutes while I change this? back in so we're, I'm gonna shout I'm gonna I'm gonna project who was John John was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus he was the youngest disciple of Jesus we want to learn we want to know who John is we want to understand the context of the book we're about to jump into he was the brother of James and he was the son of Zebedee his brother James was another one of the 12 apostles and he, um, according to church tradition, this is not for sure, but our church traditions tell us that perhaps his mom was sisters with Mary, the mother of Jesus. So perhaps John and James were Jesus's cousins. So they might have known each other growing up. They might have been around each other a lot. And he was part of the circle, of the inner circle of three. So Peter, James, and John were Jesus's inner circle of like besties, besties, besties that he took with him everywhere. And Jesus allowed them to be the only apostles present at three occasions. He was there during the raising of Jairus' daughter. He was there at the transfiguration. And if you guys don't know what the transfiguration was, that was when Jesus stood on the mountain and Moses and Elijah came down and he was transformed into his heavenly body. And so the three of them got to witness that. And he was there for the, um, the agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. The night before Jesus died. Jesus also sent only Peter and John into Jerusalem to organize the place for the Last Supper. So Jesus really trusted John. He was intimate, he was close, he was known. Jesus trusted him with responsibilities. The beloved disciple is how he calls himself in the Gospel of John. And he was the only one of the disciples that's noted in the scripture as being at the foot of the cross. Everybody else ran away. Jesus also on the cross looked at John and said to Mary, his mother, this is now your son. 
And so John took Mary into his household, and he was the adopted son and cared for Jesus' mother for the rest of his life. Peter and John were also the only two apostles who ran to check out the tomb after Mary Magdalene came back and was like, Jesus is alive. They were like, "Mm, perhaps not. So the two of them went running to double check. And those are the only two that had the, the glorious witness of the empty tomb. Tradition also tells us that John is the only one of the original 12 apostles who died of natural causes of old age. So this tells us a lot about who John is, his character, that he's intimate, that he's close, that he's one of Jesus's best and trusted friends. Since John had a long career and he lived a long life in the church, he wrote the Gospel of John, John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, which are all letters to churches, and the book of Revelation. So there are four books of the Bible accounted to him. John also trained Polycarp. Aren't these names great? I was like, imagine having a small child and looking at that small baby's face and saying, this is young Polycarp. (laughs) For all of you guys who want baby names, there's an idea. John trained Polycarp. Polycarp was the bishop of Smyrna, Greece, which was like a Greek colony. It's now in the modern country of Turkey. It's under a different name called Izmir. But Polycarp trained another gentleman named Irenaeus. And Irenaeus was a bishop and a missionary to the region we know as France. So from John to Irenaeus is about 100 years. So these are the first fathers of the church, founding apostles, founding leaders of the church. And there is a very short period of time from John, who was an eyewitness of Jesus, to Irenaeus. Irenaeus cites the New Testament, the letters of Paul, in his writings about 1,000 times. So we know that the early church recognized a good chunk of our, of our New Testament immediately as scripture. And as John grew older and he shared his life and people shared his life and he was discipling, stories about John began to be written down and then they were passed down. So there's a really interesting story that I wanna share with you guys about John's character So you get another picture into who he is so that as you read his words, you understand where he's coming from. This was written down by Clement of Alexandria. According to Clement, John returned from the island of Patmos where he had been, or Patmos, where he had been exiled. He wrote the book of Revelation there. He was living in Ephesus. Sometimes he traveled around and he was establishing bishops and establishing order and and teaching and preaching in Christian communities. And in one of those cities, a young man caught John's attention And John committed to the youth, and John took the youth, and he took him to the local pastor. And that pastor decided to raise this young man as his own son and baptize him. However, in spite of this godly influence, this young man got in with a bad bad crowd and became a criminal, and eventually became the notorious leader of a band of robbers, which encourages me a little bit, because I'm like, you know what? John the apostle poured into a young man, and this young man went that way. So like, it's okay, sometimes that happens, guys. But sometime later, John visited the city and asked about this young man and how he was doing. And that pastor crying told the apostle about how this young man had left the church and become a robber. And John was immediately upset and demanded to know where he was. 
And at this point, John is really elderly, and he's a little bit not able to walk around super well. But he was very insistent, and so the pastor took him to see where this gang was living, and John demanded to see their leader, this young man. And the young man tried to run away, but John ran after him and said, why do you run away from me? Why do you run away from me, child? From your own father, unarmed and very old. Be sorry for me, child. Be not afraid of me. You still have hopes of life, and I will account to Christ for you. If need be, I will gladly suffer death as the Lord suffered death for us. To save you, I will give my own life. Stop and believe. Christ has sent me. Upon hearing this, the, the criminal burst into tears and dropped his weapon and hugged John. Also, can you imagine this young, strong man with a weapon running away from a little old man chasing him down the road? <laughs> I love that image. He repented of his sin, and John went through an intense time of prayer and fasting on his behalf, and eventually he was fully restored to the church. I think I love that story because I see the character of Christ in the life of John all the way into his old age. How he was a disciple who then, like we talk about around here, made other disciples to the point of not being afraid of death to the point of being a little old man running down the road chasing a gang member. And John writes in 1 John chapter 3, Beloved, let us love one another. Oh no, chapter 4, I'm sorry. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. And so we're about to jump into a couple of scriptures from the very first chapter of 1 John. And I'm, I overlaid them on your notes with John 1 because they're very similar and I would like us to do a couple of things. But before we do that, I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to help us. God, already tonight, <laughs> the enemy has been plucking me. Um, he's plucking me with technology tonight, and that's okay. Because uh, I'm just going to shout at people and trust that your, <laughs> your word is going to go forth and be fruitful. Lord, I thank you that you were so patient and kind with John. Your friend, maybe your cousin, your disciple and that you changed him so much that he then eventually, being, he just changed the world through making disciples. And um, as we read the scripture tonight, Lord, I ask that you would increase it and teach us through it in your name, amen. So, I think it's really important <clears throat> to know, and this is on the bottom of your page, that John starts his writing with the divinity of Christ. John starts his writing with the divinity of Christ in both John 1 and 1 John 1. And I'm going to give you guys a task. So at your tables, I want you to take a couple minutes and look at the two scriptures and compare them and write down where, what does the scripture say about divinity. We're going to practice the O in soap. What do you observe about what the scripture says about divinity? And then we'll come back together. So go ahead. Okay, guys, I think maybe this is working now. Hey. Oh, look at that little prayer, never hurt anything. <laughs> All right. What did you guys see about the divinity of Christ? The beginning is the beginning. It's eternal. Eternal. Creator. Creator. 
What else? Life. Life? Complex. What was it? Use the Complex. Word. Complex? Yeah. Use the word. With God. What was the other one? Use the light. Use the light. Does it seem like there's any doubt about what John is trying to tell us? No, right? John is very clear. This is God. God with God, right? He even says that. The word was God and with God in the beginning. And I have, I have to think, like, John was so intentional about this thought, and he started with it twice in two of his major letters and books. And it's important to him, and I think it's important to us, and this is why I think it's important. Because what does Deuteronomy 6.5 say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul, with all your strength. Guys, would you want to give all your heart and all your soul and all your strength to somebody that wasn't worth your worship? No, right? John is very intentional. Before he does anything else, he says, this is God. This is who I worship. This is the one that's worth it to me. And so on the back of your notes, the next fill in the blank is that the divinity of Christ is important because it speaks to his worth to be worshipped and his ownership of humanity. If he's creator, if he made all things, if he's the life that runs through our, our veins, the reason why we, we live and breathe, then he is also the owner. I'm an artist. If I paint something, if I make something with my hands, that creation is my thing. I have made it, it's mine. And I think it's so interesting that in the scriptures, Jesus calls Satan the thief, right? He says this, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Why does he call Satan the thief? Because Satan has tried to steal humanity. He has tried to take the ownership that God has over us and take it for himself. And Christ came not only to reclaim what was his, but to set his seal of ownership on us again through the Holy Spirit. So now we are like double owned, like owned through creation and owned through indwelling. Isn't that cool? Yes. Isn't that awesome? It's also a little scary. Like, if God owns my life, then actually I don't own my life. Okay. <laughs> but that's super important for us as Christ followers because if we're going to love God with all of our muchness, we have to acknowledge that he is worthy of our muchness. He deserves our muchness. We're his. And then let's go back and reread First John. I'm going to read the scripture again, just 1 John 1, 4, bless you, bless you. Um, this that was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. What else do you guys see in that scripture? Joy. Joy? Yep. Fellowship. Fellowship. We're getting there. It's relationship. Relationship. We're getting there. 
Intimacy. John calls himself the beloved disciple in the whole book of John, the whole gospel of John. And there's a part when they're in the Last Supper and John is like, they, I don't know, they had the right idea, I think. They would eat dinner kind of like laying back on couches and like <laughs> close together. And so John, there's a piece where it says that John leaned his head back on Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Yes. He has seen, he has heard, he has touched Christ, and he's lived in intimacy with Jesus, and he's listened to his heartbeat. Isn't that amazing? How do you think it would change your life to listen to the heartbeat of God? These are the things that I, I know we don't go through our day working, taking care of kids, like dealing with the struggles of relationships and the messiness of things that happen. We don't deal with that on a regular basis, but if we could take a minute and just pause and say, what would it be like to listen to the heartbeat of God? How much would it change how we deal with the things that come into our life? When newborns are born, they take the baby and they put them skin to skin on their parents, on their mothers, and then on their fathers. And the reason that they do that is because it helps to regulate the baby's heartbeat and their skin temperature. And it builds the bond between mother and child. And it calms and it regulates the baby. The mother's chest actually either warms up or cools down to accommodate the baby's temperature. And they recognize their mother's heartbeat. Babies are able to not only distinguish between different heartbeats, but when they recognize their mother's heartbeat, it soothes and calms them and it helps their brain development. And I know you're thinking like, great for John, right? Good for him. He got to see Jesus and touch Jesus. He got to testify to things that he experienced in his life. He got to listen to the heartbeat of God, but I actually have no idea how to listen to the heartbeat of God. I want us to just take a minute, guys, and I want to invite us into that tonight a little bit. To understand that his invitation to rest and to regulate our souls and our emotions the invitation to intimacy with him is not just an invitation to John. It's an invitation to all of us. And when I think about how John opens 1 John, and he talks about he's God, and then I've seen him, and I've touched him, and I've heard him. And now he says, now I want to tell you about what I've experienced. Divinity and then relationship are always important. They always go together with the Lord. It's ownership and relationship. It's obedience and fatherhood. And Jesus wants a love relationship with us. And when we can know and set our identity as the beloved of Christ, we can regulate our heartbeats, our intimacy with him, and get strength for the next part of the journey. I know for myself, I was just telling my table, I'm in a season of running really hard right now. I'm not taking a lot of days off, not because I'm like a workaholic and don't like naps. I really love naps. <laughs> Um, but because it's just the season that I'm in and I'm being pulled in a lot of directions and I know right now that if I don't listen to him and I don't take time to hide away with him that I'm going to run out I need him to regulate me I need to see him smile at me in the sunsets that I love in the children that I love feel his kindness actually when I'm just sitting on a couch reading a book and taking a breath I get to repeat his promises to me. 
And I want to repeat his promises to you guys tonight. So we're going to end a little bit differently. Normally I would give us a question and we would talk, but we're going to, we're going to take some reflection time. I'm going to ask um, that they would play the um, tip that you play. Yep. Mm -hmm. Can you turn it down a little smidge left? Thank you. A little bit down. Oh, on the, on the keyboard. Yes. Thank you. I'm going to read some scripture out, and there's some notes here on your page. You guys just want to take some time, listen to the Lord, ask him what he wants to say to you. And then after I'm done reading this scripture over us, which is the heartbeat of God for us, what he says he wants for us, then we're going to play a song, and then I'm just going to pray us out. But loving God giving him our muchness is about relational intimacy with him as much as it is about everything else. And I don't think we take enough time to just sit with him, to just be with him, because we're all so busy, all so bold in so many directions. So I want to encourage us tonight. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Matthew 11. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. John 10. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Isaiah 40. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the, the world may believe that you have sent me. John 17, 20 through 21. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I'm he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. Isaiah 46. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Zephaniah 3. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Psalm 103. Know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Romans 8. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. Deuteronomy 6, 5.